It's one full week into the new year, and I promise I won't ask if you're keeping your resolutions, giving them up, or haven't even bothered to get started. However, if you're like me, among the new things you can be looking forward to is what new comics are coming out this week from DC Comics. And, luckily, you've stumbled into The Spinner Rack, a weekly podcast from DC Comics News, hosted by yours truly. Designed to do one thing and one thing only, identify the top five books coming out from DC Comics each and every week. My name is Seth Singleton. I'm your host. Looking forward to diving right in and enjoying the comfort of being inside while the rain begins to announce the arrival of our next winter storm. While it keeps pouring outside, we're going to stay inside and enjoy all the great things coming from DC Comics this week. This is episode number 40. Let's dive right in with my first choice, Batman number 86. Now, this is the new writing team and collaboration team of James Tynan IV providing the writing with art by Gillam March, colors by Tomu Moore, letters by Clayton Cowles, and really a wonderful, really enjoyable start to this new run. So many of the elements that you want to make up a classic Batman story are available right at the beginning and all the way through until the last panel. I was a huge fan of the work that I saw James Tynan do before he took over on Batman. And while there is always a question of what will happen when a team, say the one helmed by Tom King, steps away at the end of their run, and a new team, this one, led by James Tynan IV, takes over. What we get is something quite perfect and a little bit of a blessing for DC Comics fans. We have a story that focuses on the promise that Batman has always believed Gotham holds, and a debt to an old friend who's no longer there, keeping in the story and keeping true to the story that's preceded it, the loss of a mentor and the main father figure that Bruce and Batman could connect with, identify with, and rely on for so long. And the promise that that mentor, that Alfred, was able to provide by showing Bruce that there are things he knows Batman and Bruce both see. A hidden Gotham, one that hasn't come to life yet, but one that, if it did, would not only change Gotham's future, its present, but also question the need for a Batman. As a threat to this, we have a new source rising. A team helmed by, perhaps, the most deadly, if not one of the most deadly, assassins to exist within the world, and to head up this team with a clear and concise plan. I'm talking about Deathstroke the Terminator. And a team of assassins who, on their own, or even one by one, would be troublesome. But instead, their collaboration, their 
agreement to work under the leadership of Slade Wilson suggests a much more nefarious plot is at hand, and one that is only beginning to unfold. Batman, of course, has predicted, anticipated, and made his preparations for not only their arrival, but their eventual first meeting. And his appearance on the scene is nothing short of legendary. We also have new tech, new ideas, and a very chilling epilogue in which another classic character appears to be burning down parts of his past. What can that mean for the future for this villain and Batman? Clearly, the following pages and issues of Batman will be telling us, showing us, and perhaps even haunting us with the story that's due to follow. I'm a huge fan of this book. Bright from the beginning, I felt that I was reading a classic Batman title. I felt that in many ways the spirit, momentum, and the depth that has always existed within Batman was clear and resonant within this issue. And I feel that this is like a great relay when the handoff of the baton between two skilled, well-timed, practiced athletes is so effortless. It's only the changing of the hands and the acceleration of the new runner forward that gives you any sign that the handoff not only was attempted, but completed. And now is something that fades away as the new runner strides forward. I give this a solid five out of five in my book. And I'm looking forward not only to upcoming issues, but to hearing your thoughts on this and all the books we talk about today, right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 40. Let's go ahead and dive into my second choice. And taking that number two ranking for us this week is Batman and the Outsiders, number nine. In a story by Brian Hill, featuring art by Dexter Soy, colors by Veronica Gandini, and letters by Clayton Cowell. It's topped with a gorgeous cover by Tyler Kirkham and Nay Rafina, with a variant cover by Chris Burnham and Nathan Fairburn. One of the biggest challenges for superheroes is the fact that the very act of being a superhero, even with a mask, can put those around them in danger. It might not be direct, but that doesn't mean that the feeling of pain, suffering, or loss is by any means indirect. The consequences for the outsiders under the direction of Jefferson to retrieve a lost member, bring her home, and in doing so invade the realm and the lair of Ra's al Ghul has led to the death of one of Jefferson's co-workers, a teacher, someone he trusted, someone he cared for, someone he believed he could protect. And now that she's gone, he's only left with the anguish and sorrow and anger. And because of that, he's struggling to cope with the problem that his life has created and the conflicts that it adds to regarding his relationship with Batman, with the team, 
and with the mission. Batman and Bruce Wayne reach out to Jefferson. Katana, knowing full well the toll that the death of loved ones can take on herself and others, tries to offer a hand to provide some sort of support for Jefferson. But he's not there. He's not listening. And this is something that brings even Superman into the picture when he has a discussion with Batman about what is happening with Ra's al Ghul, what threats the team may be facing, and whether or not there is anything Superman can do to support his friend without getting in the way of someone whose methods he knows and understands, much like his thinking, and the team, and their mission. But his point is clear. This involves him, because it's Metropolis, and a place where one of his teachers was murdered. While he trusts Batman's methods, his concern is also with Jefferson, the struggle he's facing, and the danger he and the team might be in from Batman's oldest enemy, the grandfather of Davy. It's clear that these concerns are not unfounded, and an offer made at the end of the issue Ask the question, just what is Jefferson searching for? And can an old enemy be the way to redemption and revenge? Or is it just a tool being used to play him and take advantage of his grief and his sorrow? It's a heartbreaking time, and clearly, the effects not only to Batman's family, but now to the Outsider's family is taking a toll and i really enjoyed the way this issue didn't require any action scenes well i take that back there's one or two panels with a little bit of action but overall this is a story about team friendship loss and the weight of wearing a mask a cape or a cowl I really was intrigued by this approach. I love the idea of taking a quiet moment and allowing the process and the machinations of Ra's al Ghul to begin turning the gears and wheels. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this shapes up as the dynamics within Batman and the Outsiders will be divided in response to Jefferson's actions and potentially to his acceptance or refusal of a new offer. I really liked where Batman and the Outsiders brought this story. I think Brian Hill did a masterful job of setting up what the next layers of conflict will be, and in doing so, gave a really quiet, thoughtful, and reflective issue that delved into the personalities and the psyche of many of the team's members and the challenges they'll be facing and how so many ways this makes them very vulnerable. This was a solid five out of five for me, one that I really enjoyed and I'm proud to share with you. And there's something unique about having two Batman titles in the first two positions on this week's episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. 
This is episode number 40. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and because our first two books are out of the way, it's time to take a quick break for some ads, some info, before we come right back with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Thanks for your patience. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by... The guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Thanks for sticking around through those messages. Coming right back to us, right here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 40, I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and we're going to dive right in to our third choice. For this one, I went with Young Justice, issue number 12, a really fun story by Brian Michael Bendis, featuring art by John Timms, colors by Gabe Elteb, letters by Wes Abbott, with Tim's and Eltreb providing the cover, and Nick Bradshaw and Alex Sinclair providing a really fun variant cover. Things are always happening to Young Justice. I mean, they do things, but more often than not, they seem to be reacting to the way others are throwing them consistently, or at least with a great regularity into far-flung corners of the multiverse. Now, this is to the benefit of readers who love seeing classic characters make a new appearance, perhaps in the world of Scarterus. If you do, well, you're going to like where Superboy lands. However, among all those dinosaurs and other worldly creatures, there is a great moment when Superboy knocks out a dinosaur, and then says, I hate punching dumb animals. It's like punching a puppy. That sweetness extends to the team, back in the present, wondering where Superboy has gone, and beginning to make a series of connections to the possibility that Star Labs and Dr. Glory are not the good people that they've been initially presented as. If you've been following Young Justice, you know that it's Dr. Glory 
who's actually behind Superboy's recent disappearance after he attempted to confront her, and she chose to send him back in the multiverse rather than take responsibility for her actions. This consequence to her actions is the team eventually recruiting the Wonder Twins to assist them, and the arrival of the Invisible Jet sparks a fun conversation about why it's so easy to see. Now, there is a suggestion that maybe it's just so dusty up there, and that leads to the ability to see an invisible jet. However, what follows is a fun story in which we get an appearance by the members of Dial H for Hero, a questioning of what's going on at Star Labs and why it is that there is a pattern of Star Labs creating larger complications, messes, disasters to cover up their actions on smaller, perhaps more heinous or malevolent decisions. And what that means for the degree of trust that was once so common and inherent between DC Comics characters and Star Labs, and what sort of threat this might eventually turn into. I really enjoyed the way we got to see so many fun characters. At this time, of course, Naomi is a part of Young Justice, a Brian Michael Bendis character, and his inclusion of the Wonder Twins as well as the Dial H team suggests a new possibility for not only the roster of Young Justice, but also what this collaboration with both of these new members might mean for future stories and the direction that this current story is taking. Fully aware that they now have more numbers, along with more questions, the team sets out to face off with Star Labs to get some answers and hopefully bring their friend Connor back home. It reminds me a little bit of the fact that I was always a huge fan of characters tossed into a place that they can't easily return from and journeying to find their way home. And yet I used to have long-winded discussions with my father about this because those were the kinds of stories he never enjoyed. It seemed that the character was never making their way home, that you were always trapped watching them attempt something that in order for the show to continue could never be accomplished, and once it was, the show would end. Young Justice, like many comic books, is not trapped by any one idea, theme, or direction. But as we are now, at the end of issue number 12, it does feel that the journey home, even while they are on their own planet, is not complete for all of the team, and there is still that desire to bring things back to a right place where they had perhaps once existed, given all the things that have transpired. Is that really possible? And what does it mean for the rest of the team and their future? Clearly, the conflict with Star Labs is only beginning, which means the answers we're looking for might begin to appear or might be still a bit of a ways away. And because of that, 
if you enjoy a good journey. I would stay tuned with Young Justice. Their mission isn't done, and neither is their story. This story was a perfect 5 out of 5, one that brought together a lot of elements of the DC Comics universe that have only recently been developed or built, and their inclusion suggests a really fun possibility for the future that I'm looking forward to watching, reading, and exploring, and hopefully sharing with you right here on The Spinner Rack. Let's go ahead and move into my fourth choice. In moments of personal tragedy, there is a shared experience that is often described where a person feels that they are outside of themselves, looking in, and in doing so, that they are witnessing things as though they are not part of their own body. Now, for my next choice, this fourth choice, Hawkman number 20, Carter Hall is having a similar experience. But unlike previous descriptions, for which this time only lasts for a short duration and then eventually comes to an end, Carter's experience simply won't stop. You see, he's lost control of his body. It's been taken over by the Sky Tyrant, a villainous take on Carter Hall's classic Hawkman. And the Sky Tyrant cares nothing for the things that Carter has been working so hard to achieve. In fact, because he's one of many personalities somehow tangled into the past lives of Carter, he has access to all of this information about who Carter was and about his mission of redemption, one that the Sky Tyrant wants nothing to do with, simply because his goal is to kill more and more and more. And he hopes to undo all of Carter's works because he believes that this will lead to a pattern of reincarnation in which every new life is an opportunity to kill more people and to embark on a mission of fear. He has one of Carter's ships from a past life, and more importantly, he's gained access to a mysterious tome known as the Black Journal. What's inside are all of the secrets and mysteries that Carter has discovered, as well as too many opportunities to bring about the greatest threat that faces them all. Thankfully, while Carter is stuck outside of his body as an apparition, watching, only able to psychologically attempt to have an impact on the sky type, there are those who are part of his network who aren't just standing idly on the sidelines. We've already had an appearance by Shaira, and now we have the announcement that another spacefaring hero, as well as one who sometimes escapes detection, are both on the case and working to save their good friend Carter and prevent the devastation that they know will only result once the Sky Tyrant begins putting his plans into action. 
This was a great story from Robert Venditti. An amazing team with a really great art collaboration between Fernando Pissarro on pencils with Eau Claire Albert and Danny Mickey on inks. Jeremy Cox providing the colors and letters by Starkings and Comicraft. Pat Olaf, Tom Palmer, and Jeremiah Skipper collaborate on the original cover with Prolo Pantolina providing the variant cover. At the end of it all, I was really caught up in the next stage of this really wonderful narrative that Robert Venditti has been crafting. I have been moved by his storytelling, by his characters, and by the conflicts he continues to place Carter Hall in, and how through it all, the Hawkman we know, love, and cheer for somehow always finds a way to stand tall and soar high. This is another great example of that, and it's a reason why I'm so happy to give Hawkman number 20 a 5 out of 5. It's always a book that I love talking about and sharing, and when I do, well, the delight is mine to share. Let's go ahead and wrap things up with my fifth and final choice. And for that fifth and final choice, I'm going with a very interesting title one known as Daphne Byrne. Set in New York in 1886, Daphne tells us the story of a young girl working through grief. Daphne is struggling with heartache and loss and feeling the effects that mean girls her age can have when they decide that someone else's misfortune is an opportunity to have a bit of fun, no matter what the cost. This is a great opportunity to learn more about Daphne's predicament. Her father is gone. According to the gossip, her mother can't pay her debts. And because of this, the family as a whole is struggling to get by. Unfortunately, that's not Daphne's only problem. In this amazing story, Written by Laura Marks, with art by Kelly Jones, colors by Michelle Madsen, lettering by Rob Lay, the original cover by Piotr Jabtonsky, and a variant cover by Jasmine Putri. This wonderful team comes together to tell the story of one of the oldest problems to face all of us, and that is want. Want in the face of sorrow, heartache, and grief. This want leads Daphne's mother to take an ill-advised trip to a seance, where not only does she attempt to make contact with Daphne's father who has passed, and to communicate with him to in some way lessen that loss, what instead occurs is the opening of a door, one that invades Daphne's dreams, haunts her with nightmares, and promises that her journey has just begun. What happens when the actions in the dream world and the creatures there appears to pass over into the real world? 
the waking day. That, I think, is where the discovery for Daphne and the readers will soon begin. I was really intrigued by this book, one for the setting. I've enjoyed recent stories that have taken place in periods in time of great transition, approaching new markers in time, whether it's millennia, centuries, and also how even within periods of great progress and development, there are still the machinations of old ways, old forces that won't be silenced, that won't be denied. And in this story of Daphne Burton, what starts out is just a simple want and a need built on tragic loss leads to something far deeper, far darker, and, well, just how far down it goes is something we'll only learn as each issue progresses. I really enjoyed the work, the collaboration, the feeling of so much that was going on within this story that promises a little bit of fear, more heartache, and a deepening mystery, one that I'm looking forward to exploring, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on its introduction and where you think this story will go. Now, since this is part of the Joe Hill Y, you can also expect to find on the final two pages another chapter in the story of the Sea Dogs. I was really pleased to pick up yet another new title from the Hill Line and DC Comics and recognize its wonderful presence and addition to the DC Comics new spinner rack. I was really pleased to give Daphne Byrne a 5 out of 5 and rank it as my fifth and final choice for this episode of the DC Comics news spinner rack. And with that, episode number 40 has come to a close. And that means this is a great opportunity to remind you of a few pertinent details. For starters, if you've enjoyed this broadcast and want to hear more of the Spinner Rack and so many other great podcasts about comic books, well, you found your new home at the DC Comics News Podcast Network. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or so many others. So head over to your favorite, subscribe to our podcast, and rate and review. I think we're five stars, but I'm looking to hear your opinion and learn, if we can, how to make us better. If you want to leave us a comment about anything, you've heard today on the spinner rack or anything you hear in the future on upcoming or previous episodes of all of our great channels, you can head on over to your favorite social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use that at symbol and tag DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S, and let us know your thoughts, your scores, your likes, your dislikes, or anything else you feel like sharing. I promise we're out there listening, and I'm looking forward to reading 
and hearing from you. Now, I'm not the only program available, as I mentioned, here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. You can catch, as a subscriber, weekly episodes of the DC Comics News Podcast, a collaboration of writers and reviewers who talk about the most recent news released from DC Comics about movies, TV, streaming, comics, and sometimes a little something we call Other. I'd also encourage you to check out the newest addition to DC Comics News Podcast Network. That is I Am The Night, our episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic Batman the Animated Series, hosted by my co-conspirator Steve J. Ray, and his insights will make you want to rewatch the series and each and every episode again and again with new considerations, new thoughts, and a new way of seeing an old favorite. You've been listening to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This has been episode number 40, and I've been your host, Seth Singleton. Looking forward to joining you next week, next time, with my next five top books from DC Comics. And as always, it's cold outside, so stay inside. Stay warm, stay bundled, and always read more comics. See you next time.